All right, let's take our Bibles and return back to the book of John, chapter 4. The book of John, <clears throat> chapter 4. This morning we <clears throat> took a look at this Samaritan woman and the extended conversation that our Lord had with her. <clears throat> and really, if you really pause and slow down and read through these words and think through it, <clears throat> it really is a testimony to the glory and honor of the Son of God. Here he is, <clears throat> all weary, he's tired. If it was us, we would be cranky and dusty, sitting there by the well. <clears throat> and if it was you and me, we would be more interested in the water, physical, <clears throat> than we would be in the communication of the water of the Word, spiritual, to someone else, least of all to this type of woman who is there at the well. And yet our Lord, <clears throat> of course, is not like you and me. Thank God He is the incarnate, perfect Son of God, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And here He is by that well, <clears throat> knowing this woman's response, knowing that she would respond to the Scripture <clears throat> and that she would ask Him, give me this living water. And the Lord does give that living water to her. So I want to read here tonight toward the end of this chapter. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to read verses 28 through 30. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 39. And tonight I want to speak on the Samaritan reaction to the Messiah. And then Lord willing, next Sunday afternoon, I want to look at the disciples' reaction to the Messiah. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. <clears throat> so the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She told me, he told me all, thing, all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, <clears throat> they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. And so we just looked at some of the basics or the fundamentals of being led to Christ. And we saw that first of all, a person has to know their thirst. They have to know their hunger. They have to know that they have a need. And one of the ways that we know our need is not only do we know factually that we are sinners, but that we also know that we're sinners, but I'm using this on purpose, we actually come to feel that we are sinners. We experience this guilt, this overwhelming burden and desire 
that we are sinners and that we need a Savior. We need to be saved from our sin. And being saved from our sin through the atonement of Jesus Christ, being saved from that sin, ultimately we'll also be saved from the penalty of that sin to where, as the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is therefore no condemnation. There's no death penalty for those who are in Christ Jesus. This woman needed to know that she was thirsty, not just for physical water, but for the thirst that was in her own soul. And Jesus takes the physical, being illustrative of the spiritual, and he uses that to open up the conversation with this woman. This lady also needed to know the gift from God. She needed to know the origin of the gift. It is from God and God alone. She needed to know that it was a gift. It was not by works. It's not by ceremony. It's not by ritual. It's not by anything that man could do or any effort on his own to save himself. Salvation is of the Lord. He is the one that has to do the saving. And then thirdly, she needed to know who was speaking to her. Now, in her case, it was Christ who was speaking to her one-on-one. And everything that Jesus Christ said is the Word of God. For us, people have to recognize that the Bible, the Scriptures, are the God-breathed voice to us. They have to recognize the authority of the text. She had to know who this man was that was speaking to her, And that this man, Christ Jesus, is the only one that could actually give her the gift because uh, he is the God-man. And then we saw that our Lord actually knew what her response would be. He actually foretold it before she ever said, give me to drink. So what we have here is this. What we have is the woman comes to the well for water. Jesus asked her for water. And then she turns around and asks him for living water because he is the only one that can give it to her. She had to overcome two obstacles. One of those was the religious controversy about where genuine worship is to be held at. Our Lord answers that question. And then he also gives to her an understanding of what genuine true worship is. God is spirit, so if we're going to worship him, we have to worship him how? In spirit and truth. Both of those must be together. Passion in and of itself is insufficient. Raw truth without that truth engaging our heart is insufficient. It is the truth of God inflamed in my heart being reflected back to the Lord. And of course, that comes through rebirth. Now this woman who asked himself, asked him this question when she says, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. She wasn't really convinced that what he was saying was absolutely so, 
But she knew that when the Messiah came, when the Christ came, he would clear all things up. And Jesus just looked at her. Can you imagine this scenario? Here's the woman looking at him. He's looking at her. And he says to her, verse 28, verse 26, I who speak to you, I am. I am the one. I am he. Well, when he says that, guess who shows up? Have you ever been frustrated in witnessing and someone shows up? Okay, Here's a situation where the disciples have been gone into the city to buy food. They've now got the food. They're on the way back in verse 27. At this point, when he says, I who speak to you am he, at this point his disciples came. And when they came, they were just stunned that here he was speaking with this woman, and yet they're ashamed or afraid. They're not going to say, well, what are you seeking from this woman? And they're certainly not going to ask him, well, why are you speaking to her? But in the meantime, verse 28, the disciples show up. Jesus says, I who speak to you am he. The woman leaves her water pot and went into the city. In other words, she's doing what he said, right? He had said, go call your husband. And of course, she didn't have a husband. He says to her, I am the Messiah, I am he. And she just leaves her water pot, takes off to go back into the city. And she says unto the men... Come, see a man, verse 29, who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Or we would probably say today, is this the Christ? Is he really the one? She forgot, in the midst of her conversation, she forgot the reason why she came to the well. She came for water. She leaves an empty water pot because, and I'm reading here in the text, she had at least tasted of the living water, right? She had tasted the goodness of God to her. And she goes to the men, and perhaps, we don't know this, but she goes to the men of the city, perhaps these are the men who would have been at the gate of the city. These would have been men of leadership, men of government there in that city. And she comes to them, and basically she tells these men, look, you need to come because I met a man, and he's omniscient. What does omniscient mean? He knows everything about me. Is he the Christ? Come and see. And so those men that were there, verse 30, they went out of the city. They would be following the woman, I'm sure. And they were coming to him. And the result of that, and the saying of this woman, verse 39, is that many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. It was just because of this, he told me all the things that I had done. Now think about that. 
In other words, she's saying, come look at this man. He's omniscient. He told me everything about my life, which he really didn't write an autobiography, right? But he knew at least, he knew at least five husbands worth, right, of life. And he knew that the man that she was, she was living with wasn't her husband. And just on that basis, the city, those men believed that this man was the Christ. That he was the Messiah. And so what happened is, is that those men, verse 40, <clears throat> they besought him to stay with them. Now they weren't meaning for him to take up a permanent residence. What they were meaning was is they wanted to hear they wanted to hear more. And folks, that is an exciting thing when you're talking to someone and maybe maybe something gets cut short, but they want to hear more. This is how you know that the Lord is working in someone's life. And so he stayed with them. That saying from the woman was the catalyst that drew them unto the Messiah. They asked him to stay in that city, teaching them more, and Jesus consented to stay how many days? He consented to stay there two days. Can you imagine what 16 hours of instruction with the Lord sounded like? I would call this a Bible conference, wouldn't you? Two days of meeting with the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And know verse 41. Many more believed because, not for the woman's word, but for His word, what He taught them. Now folks, let's just pause here and ask ourselves this question. What do you think He taught them? Well, I think that He taught them exactly what He taught the woman. He taught them what the gift of God is. Now please please follow me here because we're going to be jumping off of the text here. He taught them what the gift of God is and He taught them who He is. For two days, I am sure it would have been like on the road to Emmaus, He taught them out of the Scriptures who He is and what the gift of God is. And of course we know that the gift of God is Him. He is the living water, isn't He? He is the bread of life. He is the Messiah. And so they walked away, and the reason why I say that, look at how these men walked away, verse 42. They were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves... All right, what, what is the end result of what they heard? We know that this one, Jesus, we know that this one is indeed who? The Savior, now follow this, not just of the Jew, 
but of the, of the world. Now even John the Baptist understood that, although he didn't understand it. He said the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the, the world. Jesus would tell those disciples that He's giving His life for the world. But to them, when they heard world, at least at that point, they were thinking only Jew. But Jesus says, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, not of the Jewish fold. Them I must bring. So from the beginning, He came to die for the world. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ, the Savior of the world. And folks, that's why I say that I think He taught them what the gift of God is and who He is. Now folks, whenever we're witnessing... This is exactly what we need to teach people. Now I want you to take your Bible and turn over to John chapter 6. And I want to follow up my emphasis here when I emphasize to us that He taught them what the gift of God is. And the gift of God ultimately is Him. Now you understand from John chapter 6 that Jesus had fed the multitudes. He had created bread from bread. He had fed them, and of course that's what the world is interested in, right? The world is interested in physical drink and physical food and those types of things. And they even tried to make Him king in chapter 6 and verse 15. And Jesus withdrew Himself. Ultimately, He goes down to the sea. He gets in the boat. And He crosses the sea to head to Capernaum. And, of course, then we have the sea and all that was going on there with the sea. But eventually, the people found out that He wasn't in the previous location. So they got in their boats and they headed to Capernaum also. And in John chapter 6, verse 26, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus answered them, verse 26, and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, signs that testified who he was and is, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were what? Filled. Doesn't that describe the world? Then he says, verse 27, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life. This is the living food. This is the living bread. Which the Son of Man will give to you, for on Him the Father God has set His seal. Now note their response to this, verse 28. Therefore they said to him, What shall we do so that we may work the works of God? Everybody see that question? Jesus said, Don't work for food which perishes, but understood, work for the food which endures to eternal life, which 
the Son of Man will give to you. Now understood within all that is it's a gift, right? The Son of Man's going to give it to them. But what they asked is this, all right, you're telling us to work for the proper thing. Okay, tell us what the proper thing is. Tell us what we must do to do the works of God. And folks, that is a question that is repeated today. It's a question that boomerangs around within Bible-believing circles. They really want to see a work of God. What do we do to work the works of God? Do we pray all night? Do we fast? What do we do to do the works of God? That's a legitimate question, is it not? Now note how our Lord responds, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Alright? Do you want to do the works of God? Let's ask, answer that question, yes or no. Yes, we want to do the works of God. Alright, here's the work of God. That you believe in Him whom He has sent. Isn't that an amazing statement? If I was to say, what, what must I do, Frank Jones, to do the works of God? Alright, here's what I must do. I must believe. I must believe on Him whom God has sent. Let that, let that settle in just for a second. Here's the multitude. Don't labor for food that perishes. Labor for that which endures to eternal life. Well, how are we saved? By grace through faith. Alright, what must I do then to do the works of God? Here's the work of God. That you believe on Him whom He has sent. Folks, there really is a simplicity with that, isn't it? What must we do to be saved? Believe on Him. Having, believe, believe, having believed on Him, what must we do? Believe on Him. Does not our faith grow? Yes or no? Yes. This is the work of God. The work of God is that you believe on Him whom He has sent. That you're justified. That you're declared righteous. And then here's the continuing work of God. That your faith continue to grow and grow in that belief until you are absolutely fully persuaded, no matter what the circumstances of life, that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. No doubts, no debate, risen from the grave, He's the one. And folks, that type of faith comes under attack. And you recall, Peter knew about this, did he not? 
Satan desired to sift him like wheat. Now listen to our Lord. But Peter, I pray for you that your what will not fail. That your faith will not fail. Didn't this same Peter say that the trial of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Do you hear the work of God? This is the work of God. This is what all mankind should labor to enter into. Just like he said, strive to enter in the narrow gate. This is what we must give our energies toward. Being saved and growing in that faith and in that salvation. Everybody see that? Now folks, even though we labor to enter into that gate, it will take a work of God for that to happen. Notice they said, what must we do to do the works of God? Jesus said, this is what God must do. It's His what? It's His work. This is what God is desiring to do all over this globe. To show His work, understood, through Jesus Christ, to the glory and honor of Him so that people all over this globe would believe in Him whom He has sent. That is the work of God. Now folks, we've already seen how God does that work. And Jesus is going to go on in this same sermon, and He's going to show us how this work occurs. I want you to go down to verse 43. The Jews themselves could not get their heart around what he was saying. And in verse 41, the Jews were grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. In other words, Moses gave you manna. God's giving you the true manna. He's giving me for the life of the world. And they tripped up. They stumbled over this. Verse 42, they were saying, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down out of heaven? (laughs) And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. Now note verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Does everybody see that that phrase? What is the work of God? That we believe, right? God has to do this. How does He do it? He draws people to Him. 
Now that Greek term is a very strong term. It's actually used of a fisherman who cast his net into the sea and it gets full of fish and he takes that net and he does what to him? He draws that net to him. It's a very forceful word. But folks, we know that though God draws us, He doesn't draw us against our will. In fact, He draws us how? Well, He's going to tell us that. Look in John 6, verse 44 again. No one can come to Me unless the Father who has sent Me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to who? Comes to me. Everybody see that verse? Okay. So if I was to ask you, does God... This is the work that God desires to do in every human being, that they would believe on Him whom He has sent. How does He do that? He draws people. How does He draw people? Well, verse 45 says, and I have these words underlined, they're verbs. He teaches. Everybody see that? He teaches... The one being taught must hear. Everybody see that verb? And learn. And when they have been taught and heard and learned, they what? They come. Everybody see those verbs there? Those are wonderful verbs. And he goes on and says, not that anyone who's seen the Father, the only one that has seen the Father is the Son. But the Son is communicating this teaching. He is God the Father's Word incarnate. The Son of God. So folks, if we want to see someone come to a genuine faith, it's going to take who? It's going to take God to do this. God must do this. But God uses means, does He not? What is required on our part? We must teach. What is required on the hearer's part? They must hear. And they must what? Learn, meaning they do receive it. And if they really hear the teaching and they really understand the teaching, the eyes of their understanding being illumined, if they really understand the teaching, then they what? They come. And if anyone comes to Christ, Christ says, I will raise him up at the last day. Now folks, we have illustrations of that in our Bibles. And I want you to turn to John chapter 9 real quickly. John chapter 9. We have another man who has 
a problem. This man's not hungry. This man's not thirsty. This man is blind. And he's been blind from birth. And Jesus comes and He heals that man. He actually spits on the ground. And He takes the dust of the earth and He makes clay from that spittle. And He applies the clay to the man's eyes. And the man goes and washes and lo and behold, he can now what? See. Now folks, you know that that's a miracle. Jesus is actually, if we could word it this way, He's creating body from the dust of the earth. But if I spit on the ground and made clay and I put it in your eye, you would not come out seeing. You would come out in pain. Would you not? But here the Lord takes that, just as the body is of the dust, He takes that and He applies it to the man and He can see. Alright, the man can see. He can't see spiritually yet. But He can see physically. But the man is going to be drawn to the Savior. And here's how it works. Look down at verse 11. All he's doing is answering questions from the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He answered, The man who's called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. What does this blind man who now can see, what does he think about Jesus? He calls him a what? A man. Now, is he more than a man? He is more than a man, but folks, that's where everybody starts out at. They've heard about him. They may even read something in their Bible, but as far as they're concerned, he has an opinion. He may be a good man, may be a moral man, but he has an opinion. I have an opinion. I think this is the way. He thinks that's the way. Some people like that. I like my way. He's just a man. But folks, his eyes of his understanding start being opened. And in verse 17, they ask the blind man again, what do you say about him since he opened your eyes? And he said, Folks, what did he say? He's a what? Alright, now let me let me just pause. Are we moving? Is the man being drawn? Now, folks, he's not being drawn, kicking and screaming. He doesn't even know that he's being taught of God. (laughs) But is he being taught of God? He is being taught of God. And he comes to this convincement. He is a prophet. He's not just an ordinary man. He's a man called of called of God. Look down in verse 25. 
they say to this man, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Verse 25, he then answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. Folks, what is he saying? (laughs) What you would have expected him to say was this, yes, I know he's a sinner. All men are what? But he's beginning to question whether this man who he is convinced is a prophet, whether he is just an ordinary man called of God, he's not sure that he's a what? He's not sure that he's a sinner. He's got to be more than an ordinary man. He's got to be more than just a prophet. Now look at verse 27. He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Why? Do you want to hear it again? You do not want to become His disciples too, do you? Alright, everybody following what I'm saying here? Here's this man. Is he blind? He is blind. Jesus heals his physical sight, but now... He's going, he's going to heal his spiritual sight. And he's being drawn. He's thinking through the events. He's thinking through the words that Jesus said. He's thinking through all that he did. He spit on the ground. He formed the clay. Put it on my eyes. I went and did what he said. Something's happening here. And the man is now whose disciple? he has determined that he's going to be a follower learner. Now hold on a minute. He's still not saved. But is he being drawn? He is being drawn. Now look at verse 31. I'm going to dip right into where the man answers again. He says, we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is God-fearing and does His will, He hears Him. Since the beginning of time, it has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind. Can you imagine, here's this man combing through in his mind and heart what he's heard in the synagogue. And he understands from the Old Testament, this has never happened before. It has never been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a person born blind if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And folks, this is an answer to where the Pharisees and Sadducees said, we know where Moses is from, but we don't know where this man's from. This blind man says, I'm a follower, a learner of him, and I'm telling you, this man is from above. I know where he's from. He's from who? He's from God. Because if this man didn't originate from above, he couldn't do this. Now, when that happens, the man's still not born again. 
When this happens, he gets thrust out of the synagogue. It's like losing your citizenship. He gets thrust out of the synagogue. They put him out. And in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had put him out. And finding him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? All right, now, folks, what's the gift of God? What is the work of God? Believing. That a man might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that God the Father has sent him into the world. Jesus asked him this question Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, Who is he, Lord? that I may believe in Him. Folks, is the man ready? But remember, he never saw Jesus because he was blind. He only what? He only heard His voice. Who is He, Lord, that I may believe in Him? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have both seen Him and He is the one who is talking with you. And the man says, Lord, I what? And he worshipped Him. Does everybody see the drawing? Do we see that drawing? Did God teach that man about his son. He did. Did the man hear that teaching? He did. Did he understand? Were the eyes of his understanding, were they opening? It was. And Jesus found him, and the man came to him. And folks, I can assure you that in the last day, that man is going to be raised up. And he's going to be with all the saints in glory because of this. Isn't that amazing? Now folks, this is what has to happen with people that you witness to. It may not all happen in that same day. But one person sows and the one who sows does not always reap. One person sows, another person comes along and waters, Another person comes along and gets the joy of what? Of reaping. But folks, if I could word it this way, we're all on a team. We're on a team. Somebody who you love and has been comes to the Lord, perhaps through your witness, somebody could have started that sowing and they're now with Christ and their sowing was not in vain. Now, 
Did something similar to this happen in John 4? Here's this woman who's at the well. And in John chapter 4, in verse 9, Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a white, all right. How did that woman view Christ? I'm just going to word it as a mere man. Right? This was just another human being by the well at 6 p.m. when she comes to draw water. The man happens to engage her. But just like the blind man who said, a man came made spittle, put it on my eyes, told me to go and wash, I did it. He just saw, at that point, he's just a man. At this point, the woman just sees him as just any other ordinary human being. But in chapter 4, in verse 19, she comes to another understanding. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a Didn't the blind man come to see that? In other words, it's just not a man. It has to be a man that God has His hand on. It has to be a man of God. It has to be a prophet. But then when it comes down and the woman says to him, I know that Messiah is coming, verse 25, and Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am He. In verse 29, she goes back into the city and she says, Come, see a man who told me all the things that I have done. Does she now see him as more than a prophet? Is this not the Christ? Does everybody see that? Okay. Here she is. He's just a man. Just somebody I casually meet by the water, by, by the well. But he told me all things about myself. He must be a prophet. But when Jesus says to her, I that speak to you am he, she, I don't know if she's absolutely fully persuaded at this point, but she is heading that way, isn't she? She's come to the leaders of the city and says, look, come, talk to this man. I think he's who? I think that he's the Christ. And in verse 39... From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in Him because of the word of the woman who testified, He told me all the things that I have done. And folks, what that intimidates is this, that the woman not only said, He's the one who told me all the things done, this woman now fully believes He's who? That He's the Christ. Was she drawn 
Did God teach her? Did she hear? Did she learn? Did she come? She came. And folks, not only does she come, but she goes into the city and the city comes and they're, they're fully curious and probably heading toward belief themselves and so he stays there two days. What was he doing there for two days? You think he was sleeping? Think he was taking vacation? Think he was frequenting all the eloquent diners in the city? Maybe he was watching television. Needs a break, you know. No, you know that's foolishness. Folks, it's understood that what he was doing is that he was teaching them. And they were hearing him. And they were learning of him. And many more came to him. Not merely because of the testimony of this woman, but because they had come to know through His teaching that He is the One who is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Brethren, people have to take that journey, if you will, and sometimes, sometimes, and it's very hard for us to figure this out, sometimes you wish you would just urge them a little bit more. Sometimes you walk away and think, you know, I kind of pushed it a little bit. <clears throat> We're not the Christ. We're just sheep. But folks, people have to be given the opportunity to take this journey. They have to think on what they've been taught. You have to teach them again. And again. And what? And again. They have to have life circumstances teach them things. But all of them, in order to be saved, to come to Him, they have to come to Him believing that He is Lord of all. He is the promised Christ. He is the coming King. And they become a disciple, a learner, follower of Him. They bow the knee in worship. God seeks such people who worship Him in spirit and in truth. Let's pray.